Welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Welcome, everyone, to the Tao of Our Understanding Podcast. Anyone new? We're just a bunch of drunks and addicts that are studying the Tao. Like to welcome Kate and Marla and Kurt and Zach and Derek and Craig. Yes, we still have Craig. Yay! <laughs> I know that the first literature we're going to go through is this uh, book by Thomas Merton on Chonksa. Does anyone know or need some information on Thomas Merton, who he is? Anyone know anything about him? I looked him up on Wikipedia just so I could get a real background on him. I'd heard uh, Richard Rohr talk a lot about him. Yeah, he's a famous philosopher. Yeah, he, he wrote 50 books in 27 years. Shit. Mostly on spirituality, social justice, and quiet pacifism. He was a uh, <coughs> Trappist, an American Trappist monk, writer, theologian, mystic poet, social activist, and social and scholar of comparative religion. He died in 1968, 3 years old. So he, he wrote a lot. He, did, he was uh, featured in National Review's list of 100 best nonfiction books for his, I think his book, The Seven-Story Mountain, in 1948. He's a proponent of interfaith understanding, pioneered dialogue with prominent Asian spiritual figures, including the Dalai Lama, the Suzuki, the Taoist, the, the Tao, the Thai Buddhist monk, uh, Buddha Dasa, and the Vietnamese monk, Thich Nhat Hanh. And he authored books on Zen Buddhism, Confucianism, and Taoism. So he was one of the first people I read when I started looking into Taoist thought. So thought it was good that we started with his book. Now, how about Chongsa or Chongzu, ever how you want to pronounce it? Uh, does anyone have any background on him? Craig and I were talking about it before the meeting. You want to yeah. share what we talked about, Craig? The only thing I heard was Todd and Dr. Todd and talking about how it was probably Chongzu who wrote the Tao, something like that. They don't know really, Marla, you're right. They don't know if, if Lao Tzu actually wrote it or if his students wrote it or what. So there's a lot of different thought about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when we got to looking, Craig, you, you, you mentioned what, he lived 100 years after? Yeah, for, for, yeah from, from what I understand, he was, he was a st- because what confused me was the fact that he was a student of Lao Tzu. And if somebody says I'm a student of Lao Tzu, that really means to me that I go to school with him and that I spend a lot of time with him. But from my understanding is he, he, was, a, he was a student of the works of Lao Tzu. So I think there's about 100 years of a difference between Lao Tzu dying and Chong Tzu. I, I could be completely... I'm, I'm sh- I can't remember where I heard that. Um, so don't quote me if it was wrong. But that was, that was my understanding. He's a, he's a student of his works. And he had a different approach, too, to 
Yeah. Then the Dow yeah. King, this is a whole different type of writing. This is more parable and, and a lot of humor and uh, a little more abstract and in story form, too. I think if you compare it to the Bible, Lao Tzu is more like the, um, he, was like, he was like the Old Testament, and Chong Tzu is more like the New Testament. He kind of puts it more like this is, this is how we would do it. This, this is how we can do things. Um, this is how we can do things for us rather than, I think like the, the, the um, Dowdy Ching talks about um, the sages, how the sages do things. But I think Chongzhu deals with how we can do, how we can deal with things as just your everyday human. And isn't that what it's all about is, is learning how to apply this in everyday life. So if I can't apply it, why do I need it? You know, yeah, he's, he's actually only accredited apparently with writing seven seven of the books in the, in the Chongsu, though. I think a lot of those, a lot of the other ones were written by his students. So I think it's like 24, 25 that was actually written by other people about him or about their experiences with, with Chongsu as well. Yeah, and I know it. I know what we're going to do is go through Merton's interpretation and then we're going, we're going to go to a book, a list of the all of his stories. And the ones that we didn't talk about in Merton's book, we'll talk about then. So um, this is on page 11 in the Merton Chonksa book. Uh, Chonksu is not concerned with words and formulas. It's presented in a parable, a fable, or a funny story about a conversation between two philosophers. Not all the stories are necessarily Chonksa himself. We mentioned that. Uh, uh, it's a compilation in which some chapters are almost certainly by the master himself, but many others, especially the latter ones, are by his disciples. But the whole teaching, the way, I'm going to mute you, Chris. Uh, but the whole teaching, the way contained in these anecdotes, poems, and meditations is characteristic of a certain mentality found everywhere in the world, a certain taste of simplicity. A taste for simplicity, for humility, self-effacement, silence, and in general, a refusal to take seriously the aggressive, uh, aggressive, yeah, aggress, being aggressive, the ambition, the push, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Craig, I couldn't get it out, and the self-importance which one must display in order to get along in society. This other is a way that prefers not to get anywhere in the world or even in the field of some supposedly spiritual attainment. For me, that that is one description of this way that we're looking for, you know, this effortless effort, this way to approach life of, uh, of ease, you know. Anything else standing out to you guys? And now this is the introduction to the book by Abbey of Gethsemane, Pentecost, 1965. Um, for Chonksa, as far as the gospel, to lose one's life is to save it, and to seek to save it for one's own sake is to lose it. There's an affirmation of the world that is nothing but ruin and loss. There is a renunciation of the world that finds and saves man in his own home, which is God's world. 
in any event, the way of Chongsu is mysterious because it is so simple that it can get along without being a way at all. Least of all, is it a way out? Chongsu would have agreed with St. John of the Cross that you enter upon this kind of way when you leave always and in some sense and, and in some sense get lost. Comments? Uh, hey, this is Derek. Hey, man. I have a comment. It, it kind of reminded me when I read that part of how a lot of alcoholics are coming to AA. Um, it feels like we've tried everything, you know, and it's like, I don't know about for you guys, but for me, when I came to AA is like um, the last stop on the block because I had tried everything. And it was like, I, I had to stop trying my way is what it came down to. And so when I was reading that, that's kind of what I related it to um, in my own uh, sobriety path. I also have a note about page 10 where it says this book does not intend to prove anything or to convince anyone of anything that it um, that, that they did not want to hear about in the first place, which I thought that was interesting too. Hmm. Anything or to convince any, anyone of anything that he does not want to hear about in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, huh. Like I, that, I, when I was reading that, it reminded me of, uh, um, the lead singer Pearl Jam in an interview one time when they asked him about his songs, what do they mean? What do your songs mean? And, and he, resp he maybe he studied that, that, you know, the Tao or something, but he said, I'm not going to say what my songs mean because um, it, it might mean something to other people. And I don't want to take that away from them. But I know for me, when I, when I, uh, for instance, was reading the big book, certain things jumped out and really resonated with me. Um, so um, that's interesting. As if you were finding what you were looking for, right? Yeah, as if God was presenting it, in a yeah. sense. That's a good point, yeah. It's yeah, you know, it really is that way, isn't it? That when we read this stuff, we're like, wow, we, you know, where's this been all my life, you know? <laughs> How did they know that, you know? This has been here this whole time? <laughs> yeah, it often feels like that. Yeah. Or, even, or even sometimes I've read it a hundred or more times and then I read it and then I finally get it after it probably surrendering something, opening up, you know, allowing, allowing it to hit me in a certain way instead of, instead of my way all the time. He who has ears to hear, let him hear, right? Yeah. I think sometimes we're just not ready to hear things. That's good. Thank you. Okay. The Way of Chonksa, page 15. Did anything jump out to you guys there? Well, hello, Lala. Good to see you, ma'am. Ma'am? Yes, glad, glad to see you. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry I'm late. I just looked up my calendar, and I was like, oh, it's today. <laughs> good to have you. I know. I'm glad to be back. We're on page 15 in the, uh, in the PDF that I, that I had. Uh, anything jump out there to you guys? I did not have anything until I got to 
page 18 that I wanted to talk about. If y'all had anything in there, let me know. I had something on page 17 that I thought was interesting. Okay, okay ma'am. Um, they have that little section on personalism versus individualism. And it says that personalism gives value to the person and not the individual self. And it says it respects the unique and unalienable right of the other person as well as one's own. And then it says a respect that is centered only on one's individual self to the exclusion of others proves itself to be fraudulent. And I thought that was really interesting because I think in, in my addiction and I think just in my like natural nature, sometimes I really want to be like for myself and looking out for number one, you know? And so I really liked that part about a respect that is centered only on one's individual self to the exclusion of others proves itself to be fraudulent. And I think I can relate that to, you know, in recovery where we we're keeping what we have by helping other people. That's the opposite, right? Right. That's the opposite. So that part stood out to me as being important. And we can just start from there and read down if that's okay. The classic uh, Jules philosophy of Confucius and his followers can be called a traditional personalism built on the basic social relationships and obligations that are essential to a humane life in that when carried out as they should be developed human potentialities of each person in his relation to others in fulfilling the commands of nature. This is the part I really like in manifesting by manifested by tradition, which are essentially the commands of love. So you say in the commands of nature are the commands of love. Man develops his own inner potential for love, understanding, reverence, and wisdom. And that's what he means as being the superior man or the noble-minded man when we hear that in Lao Tzu's teachings or his uh, sayings. Fully in harmony with heaven, earth, his sovereign, his parents and children, and his fellow men by his obedience to Tao. So following what's natural, um, I was, um, we're studying a book by Joko Beck called Everyday Zen. And she said, that when you get rid of the ego, that there's nothing left that there's nothing left there but compassion. So it's the same thing. It's saying the same thing is that, you know, when, when we get ourselves out of the way, that's why, you know, I don't know if there's a God or not, but I just know that you know, I feel better when I do things for other people. There's got to be some force of love behind that. So yeah, that's good. Thanks, Kate. Then I had this part at the bottom of page 18. Anyone or mid lower third, uh, anyone who is guided by the profit motive, even though it be for the profit of the society in which he belongs, is not capable of living a genuinely moral life. Even when his acts do not conflict with the moral law, they remain amoral because they're motivated by the desire of profit and not the love of the good. We see that a lot in, in some of our Taoists. So, well, we see it everywhere. Any comments? Um, 
I, I kind of want to go back to what you, you read originally when in fulfilling the commands of nature as manifested by tradition, which are essentially commands of love, man develops his own inner potential for love, understanding, reverence, and wisdom. And then uh, it goes on. He becomes a superior man or a noble-minded man, fully in harmony with heaven, earth, his sovereign, his parents and children, and his fellow men by his obedience to Tao. And um, commands of nature, I, I guess I've been, I, it makes me feel like I've been, I've been fighting nature, you know, my whole life. And I, um, I, I don't know, it's, it's it, this fully in harmony, it feels like you're in balance with it just reminds me of, um, I don't know, this is really far out stuff for some people, but if anybody has looked into a soilless garden, it's not hydroponics. And I'm, I'm doing some work in that realm. Um, and it mentions nature and it mentions balance. And, and there's just things keep coming up for me in the past week about nature, about balance, about harmony, um, about we're all kind of connected not kind of, we are connected and how I could be, you know, have a ditch digging company. But if I, if I, if I'm in, in perfect balance, I can affect so many people in a positive way. I mean, it doesn't, I don't have to be a sensei or I don't have to be some, you know, I, I don't know, a teacher of, of, um, handicapped children, or, you know, you can do something that, that maybe not, don't get a lot of, they won't get a lot of respect as a, as a profession and, and actually be in balance and harmony and it can matter and it can spread and it can affect a ton of people. And I don't know, all of that's just kind of coming together for me on this. You know, Kurt, it's interesting. You, you mentioned that I've, I've been, listening to a book and Zach and I talked about this yesterday. Um, the three pillars of Zen. I'd recommend that on your audible. Um, there were, and I was listening to it and it, it's really talking about the fact that we're all, we're all connected. I mean, period. And we're this big body like you were talking about, you know, we all have our part to play. So we just have to find what that part is and we can, we affect the people that we're supposed to affect. You know, we help the people we're supposed to help. I mean, you know, every cell on my body, whether I think is significant or not is significant and has its part to play in my body. I mean, I, I couldn't do without parts that I don't even think about, you know, but that doesn't mean they're any less important. And it's the same thing you're talking about doing our natural state of things. And if we can get self out of the way so that we're able to do that, then yeah, we can, we can be full of peace and joy from doing that. I think is how that and have a satisfaction. We can't find any other way. Yeah. And the other thing about that, that the whole thing is the, it develops his own inner potential for love, understanding and reverence and wisdom. And that word in there is develops because I don't, I don't know how to do that. I just, right. you know what I mean? I just, I, it's something that I, 
I, I do need to allow and I need to surrender to and I need to surrender to control. And there's a lot of things. A lot of it for me now is just surrender to the life and the process. But at the same time, I have to develop how I don't know how to have a, a loving relationship. I've been I was been drinking and drugging since I was 16 and I quit at 48. I'll be five years sober on June 1st. And when was I supposed to learn that? When, I mean, talk about, like I've said it before with a couple of you guys, I've heard it like, you know, arrested development. I mean, I'm playing catch up and, and I don't know to develop all this stuff is, is it's an action, actionable step for me. You know, if that makes you know, sense. I think Craig, uh, Kurt, I think that we're already those things and we have to wake up to it. I think, I think it was, uh, just really providence that that Bill used the uh, what the phrase in the twelfth step that uh, about waking up spiritually. How does it say the twelfth step? Uh, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, mm-hmm. I think we're already all that stuff. We're just not awake to it. I think it's already there, and we just can't see it because we've got it covered up with all of our crap, you know, all of our fear and, you know, self with self. It really is. And I'm not, I don't want to hijack this thing. But no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. It's just been a lot of stuff this past week and, and hunkering down with my girlfriend, you know, we've been seeing each other for a year and it's brought that whole relationship thing has brought all kinds of challenges. And, and then some days I feel completely broken. Like I just don't know how to love and, and, it, it, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's mind boggling. And then I know I do because I have two daughters that I love dearly, but I feel, I have felt like I have been broken for a long time. You know what I mean? <laughs> but then I feel it every now and then. I don't know. It's, I, I, I'm having a hard time putting it to words. Um, but I'm trying and I'm trying to develop and I, I super care about, you know, anybody I've met in, in sobriety and my local guys and, and, and I know some of you more than better than others, but like Buddy and Craig, I mean, so there's a whole thing and, and, and I really appreciate that. So, man, it's, it's, uh, it develops his own inner potential for love. I just, I think that's what I'm doing right now, to be honest with you. <laughs> Someone was riding on my behind the other day, riding too close to me. And in the past, you know, when people would do that, I'd slam on my brakes and I'd get all huffy, you know, and all that stuff, you know, <laughs> be a be a behind, you know. And uh, and I'd been listening to this Zen book and I thought, oh, wait, I am riding really close to me. <laughs> I thought about them as being me, you know. And I was like, OK, <laughs> you know, and like, well, because we're all connected. It really is more of that than anything else. Like you're talking about this capacity to love is this capacity to realize that when I hurt you, it's like me cutting off my own hand. Yeah. And how, how can I even develop love if all I think about is myself? (laughs) I mean, that's where I'm not, I'm not at, but that's the past five years. That's what I've been digging out of is how, and I see it when I work with sponsees, how freaking disgustingly selfish they are. 
And, and then it just reminds me of, oh, I was probably 10 times worse, you know, than that. So, and more pathetic because it took me, you know, 15 years longer. I stayed out there than the, than the guys I'm working with, you know, so. <laughs> I'm going to get a kick out of this. Uh, I'm going to tell them, Craig. Um, I had to uh, apologize to a sponsee today. I got mad and hung the phone up on a sponsee today. I haven't done, I haven't hung up on somebody in years. I mean, I haven't gotten that irate, you know, because they just wouldn't get it, you know, and I got tired of hearing it. And I was just like, I got to go. And I just in mid sentence just left, you know, and uh, I was like, buddy, come on. (laughs) Where did that come from? You know, it's just hours to get over that. Do what, Greg? I just I just want to point out, not even I've pushed it that far yet. (laughs) I've not gotten mad. I don't get mad at sponsees. I got mad at this guy, you know. I really got mad, you know, and I dearly love him, you know, but I just got mad. Oh, my God, buddy. Come on. You can't do that. But uh, it's just Um, – it really is a a process of developing this love, Kurt. You're right. Yeah. There. Yeah, I just had a thought. Um, One of my biggest pet peeves or – resentments, if you will, is something that's always bugging me is uh, people who don't say hi or wave, right? And, and I've carried that, that quote-unquote burden for years, right? And, uh, you know, in, 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 the, in the program, we get to kind of look at those things and actually step back and go, what's that about? And, uh, you know, um, I think what Kurt was just talking about got me thinking about it. Um, you know, this it's real. Imagine two people because this probably happens to me all the time, who are thinking that exact same thought. Like, look at this guy coming. He's not even going to wave at me. Look, at he's not going to wave. And so I don't wave to him. But what if he was thinking the same thing, right? You know, and I'm not making the world a better place. But, you know, I'm making it all about me, right? Um, and, yeah, so I, I think our natural, natural inclination is to be selfish, right? Even when we think we're the good one. Because in my mind, I'm like, I would wave to this guy. You know, or something like that. You know, and a lot of times I wave to people and they don't wave back. And and I, you know, you know, my kids go, "Why do you always wave to people? <laughs> they don't you don't you know like for them to wave to you, right?" Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's true. But they got their own lives going on, and uh, you know, it's not all about me. But uh, I don't know why this disconnection, the thing that Kurt was talking about, like we're all connected, and you know surely that at this time in our history, it can be more apparent, right? You know, the, the people who can't cut hair now because the salons are closed, you know, and just all these things, you know, that you just don't think about typically, you know, like, um, so we couldn't, you know, all because something in China, you know, which may be where the Dow originated, I think. Uh, it was kind of fascinating. Um, and happened and now we're all you know shut down as a country we're definitely all connected right and then the country shuts down and then suddenly um pollution goes down but also gas prices go down you know and then it's like the gas companies are freaking out it's like it turns out we really are all connected um it's just interesting that's it thanks Derek. it goes back to what kate was saying too that uh if it's centered only, if someone's only centered on themselves to the exclusion of others, uh, it's just not a productive way to live. It doesn't work. 
Any other comments? I have something on 20. Uh, act free. Uh, act really freely and creatively in response to the ever new demands of unforeseen situations. And I like that idea of responding. That's in the middle of the page there. Uh, that that's really how we're to behave in all things is just freely and creatively in response. You know, when we're developing this love, Kurt, it's in response. We're learning to really, my whole life is becoming a response to what's going on instead of me having to um, originate. I'm really seeming to just respond to things. Are y'all seeing that too? Yeah. You mean in time, this particular time in our history? I mean, in everything. Like, like, oh, just like an you know, I mean, the whole thing. I mean, major decisions now seem to me be responding to situations and just going with the flow instead of me having to work and push and make something happen kind of thing. There's a, know, it's, it's sense, a different. It's a sense of a lack of control. Yeah. Also in yeah. this time, but you, but we, instead of getting all anxious about it and what's going to happen, it, we surrender to it. Yeah. This is beyond our control. Let's just do what they tell us to do and go with the flow and we'll come out of it. God willing. And learning to do that in everything, Marla, not just right now right. during COVID, but like with everything, all the major decisions I've made in the last two or three years have all been in response. Not really anything that I've had to make happen or force in some way. It's always a response. That's cool. Something. So, yeah, that's good. Uh, anything yeah. else guys what what's what else are y'all anything else standing out i confess that i went right to the um the useless train i read that several times i didn't even read this part of it i just went to so i'll be good next week okay well, we might get there week. today i'm uh <laughs> I'm, I'm moving on i'm on page 23 already uh he believes that the whole concept of happiness and unhappiness talking about uh, chunks of, of happiness and unhappiness is ambiguous from the start since it's situated in the world of objects. There, this is no less true of more refined concepts like virtue, justice, and so on. In fact, it's especially true of good and evil or right and wrong. Continuing that whole idea that it just is, that taking those la those labels interfere they don't help right those boxes that we put all these things in we don't know what's good or what's bad and then at the bottom of 23 the way of Tao is to begin with the simple good with which one is endowed by the very fact of existence instead of self-conscious cultivation of this good which vanishes when we look at it and becomes intangible when we try to grasp it we grow quietly in the humility of a simple, ordinary life, and this way is analogous, at least psychologically, to the Christian life of faith. It is more a matter of believing the good than of seeing it as the fruit of one's effort. That's like, for me, what resonated with me with that was um, like that idea that I used to have of 
good things happen to me as a reward for the kind of life that I was trying to live instead of now the things that I could perceive as good happen just because I'm where good things are happening. I'm in the flow now, you know, it's not a reward, you know, I'm not, it's not like a job I've completed. So here's your pay. (laughs) You know, it's a different way of looking and looking at the whole thing or this part in the, that next paragraph, this next paragraph's about, Wu Wei. I'm just going to read the whole paragraph. The secret of the way proposed by Chongsa is therefore not the accumulation of virtue and merit, but Wu Wei, the non-doing or non-action, which is not intent upon results and is not concerned with consciously laid plans or deliberately organized endeavors. My greatest happiness consists precisely in doing nothing whatever that is calculated to obtain happiness. Perfect joy is to be without joy. If you ask what ought to be done and what ought not to be done on earth to produce happiness, I answer that these questions do not have a fixed and predetermined answer to suit a predetermined answer to suit every case. If one is in harmony with the Tao, the cosmic Tao, the great Tao, the answer will make itself clear when the time comes to act. For then one will act not according to the human and self-conscious mode of deliberation, but according to the divine and spontaneous mode of Wu Wei, which is the mode of action of Tao itself and is therefore the source of all good. (laughs) The other way, the way of conscious striving, even though it may claim to be the way of virtue, is fundamentally a way of self-aggrandizement and it is consequently bound to come in conflict with the. He's talking about that way that develop that natural way that develops love, Kurt. Mm-hmm. That's what it's saying. That was this is Thomas Burton's interpretation of of Wu Wei and the Tao and how how happiness works. It works from doing the right thing in the moment. It's like the the fruit of just doing the right thing. The same as I'm surprised he didn't quote Romans 14 in this about the kingdom of God's not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. Because the kingdom of God is the will of God. So the will of God brings peace and joy in your life. And that's exactly, I think that's what this is saying. It's not about, you know, uh, performing. It's about doing the right thing in the moment. Like I said, the answer will make itself clear when the time comes. And I had a note beside that, that you, you remember... I don't know. You you hear people pray that, you know, for God to open a door, you know, that kind of a prayer, the door opening prayer. Well, the door's not opened until it's time to go through it. They don't open the door a month early. So, you, oh, I'm going to be over there. And I'm, <laughs> no, it opens at the moment it's time to go through it. <laughs> we want it open. Well, I want it open. Like I want to see 10 doors ahead. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. And that's why that reminded me of that about the answer making itself clear when the time comes to act. I don't like that. That's that's really truly is a living by faith, you know? It's exactly how I was taught not to live. Yes, Kurt. Yeah, man. It's a complete opposite. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at first I thought, is this ever gonna change? Am I ever gonna be able to just, you know? <laughs> 
and just learning how to be comfortable with this and say, okay, well, let's see where this door leads, you know, <laughs> that kind of a thinking. Yeah, that's good. Any other comments, guys? Uh, just say it reminds me of the serenity prayer a little, you know, the, um, cause for me, the serenity prayer, I always want to latch onto that second part, the courage of things, change the things I can. Cause I used to think I could change everything, you know, including my, um, the ultimate change would be to drink and then like it all changes for me. But even, you know, now that I'm not doing that, um, I find myself doing the serenity to accept the things I cannot change more than anything else seems to work better than that second part for me. I don't know why, (laughs) But uh turns out I, there's not a whole lot of things I can change. Hasn't that changed um, for you, though, Derek, with time and the program and in, in recovery? It used to be this way that you had all these things over here that you could change and very little. Yeah. Did not, and it's kind of seesawed the other day. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, what, like I, what can I change? Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. what I wonder sometimes, you know. And I know there's like a danger in using that as an excuse, like to not act, but I don't seem to have that problem. I seem to have the opposite problem. Because I want to change everything. Right. Yes. Because see, when you do that, Derek, it's like you're you're in control. Yeah. You know, so you so you're you're not giving up that control, which is a gift to give up control. It's not a curse. That's a gift. Plus, I mean the I mean the getting some awareness that control is is a freaking illusion it's an illusion you can't you can't you're not controlling what you think you're controlling i'm not and and i mean it's to to just allow it to be man life just gets better but constantly so i learned that and i said oh wow life is better look at my relationships and oh wow my my daughter's we're really we're doing great and then and then a challenge comes in and I immediately go back to, Oh, I know what's best here. And, and then I start suffering and then I'm like, Oh wow. Okay. There I am. There I go again. And it's like this process, you know, constant process. But you get faster at it. Don't yeah. you Kurt? You, yeah. you address it quicker. You, you know, yes. I you don't, don't burn the whole house down. You just burn a room, you know, that. <laughs> <laughs> I just flood the basement, not not the upstairs. Right, right, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, I don't suffer for five days straight now, you know, like I did a few years ago. Man, I so hated apologizing to my sponsee this morning. I so hated doing it, <laughs> but I did it Im- immediately. You know, I did it. I called him. Of course, he let it go to voicemail because he didn't want to talk to me. You know. So I, but I did it verbally instead of texting him and doing it, you know, and I said, you know, and I was just, uh, that stuff bothers you more than it used to, too. You know, you're more sensitive totally, as you learn to love people and what it does to you internally. Oh yeah. I'm still feel like I've had a hangover. I still feel like an emotional hangover all day. You know, I had to stop and meditate because I was just so, you know, felt bad. I just felt sick. It's so strange because I would go on a run for, you know, 10 days straight. And 
it wouldn't affect me any. And I get a little upset at somebody and now it messes my day up. <laughs> oh man, I used to just live on that anger. You know, I was angry all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember on vacation one time, my kids and dad, you're messing up our vacation because you're mad, you know? And I'm like, am I mad? I'm not mad. You know, <laughs> I'm not mad. Y'all shut up, you know? But uh, yeah, I was mad. I was mad all the time. Yeah. I lived in anger. Ooh, I'm so I'm so grateful. I don't have to live in that anymore. Anything else in there, guys? I'm moving on. I'm on 25 now. Um, middle of the page. If you persist in trying to attain what is never attained, in reasoning about what cannot be understood, you will be destroyed. On the other hand, if he can only know when to stop, be content to wait, listen, and give up his own useless strivings, this melts the ice. Then he will begin to grow without watching himself grow and without any appetite for self-improvement. And is that not, that, that really is perfection for me, growing beginning to grow without watching myself grow and without any appetite for self-improvement. Self-seeking will slip away. Yes. Thank you, Marla. <laughs> Just had to throw that in there. Yes. Uh, okay. On 26, middle of the page, all deliberate, systematic, and reflexive Self-cultivation, whether active or contemplative, personalistic, Kate, or politically committed, Marla, cuts one off from the mysterious but indispensable contact with the Tao, the hidden mother of all life and truth. And then that last full paragraph, a contemplative and interior life, which would simply make the subject more aware of himself, and permit him to become obsessed with his own interior progress would, for Chauncey, be no less an illusion than the active life of the benevolent man who would try by his own efforts to impose his ideal of the good on those who might oppose this idea, and thus, in his eyes, become enemies of the good. True tranquility sought by the man of the Tao Tranquility in the action of non-action, in other words, a tranquility which transcends the division between activity and contemplation by entering into union with the nameless and invisible Tao. Just realizing we are one, right? There is no spoon, right? I just watched my matrixes again. Hey, if you ever doubt, if I ever doubt the providence of God, I just watched the second matrix from about 50 minutes till about an hour and a half, that part in there. And man, I see it everywhere. If I ever doubt God, I just watch that movie. That how Morpheus acts toward that whole thing. Man, it just, it just motivates me. Plus I get to watch Monica Bellucci for a while. That's a, that's even a bonus. No comments guys. Page 27. No one is so wrong as the man who knows all the answers. I have more on here, but that's per, that's that covers that. 
And at the bottom, the last paragraph there, he's uh, chunks of teaches. You never find happiness until you stop looking for it. Until you stop looking. I can't find that. No one is so wrong. Where uh, can you read that again? Oh, I see it. I see it. I got it now. No one is so wrong as the man who knows or the woman. All the answers. Very All top the- of 27, Kurt. Yeah. I have a couple more things, but nothing really. The, Y'all the, have anything else? The only thing I was going to say about that is no one is so wrong as a man who knows all the answers is um, it just goes back to um, a discussion I had with this guy. I, I, he's not in recovery, but I respect him a lot. Um, and we were talking about beliefs and, um, and, and he told me, you know, a belief is, is people, people take their beliefs to their grave. And why would you do that? It, it, it a belief is only a, a, a placeholder until, until further investigation proves that maybe that you're not right. Maybe the belief is, is flawed. And so no, no one is so wrong as a man who knows all the answers. So yeah, it's, it's better to be, for me, curious, because I, I just like life more. I just get off on life more when I'm curious and, and I don't know everything and I want to learn things and develop and, and do things differently and all that and try to be open. So I, I, I really like that little one little sentence there. Also, Kurt, that reminded me of how, you know, in recovery – that we shift from a a belief mentality to an experience mentality. You know, we, we move from belief to experience because it's not about what we believe. It's about what we've experienced. That's why we share our experience, strength, and hope. We don't share our belief in what (laughs) will work. We share what worked. So leaving it with what worked instead of, you know, what you should do, you know, staying out of the advice business, staying out of what you must believe. Right. Totally. And moving over to the, this is what worked for me, you know, mm-hmm. take it or leave it. That's good stuff, guys. Other comments. Yeah. Just for you talking about that, that kind of puts you on the level of the sage. If you don't give an advice, you're just giving your experience rather than saying, you know, you should do this, you should do that. This kind of works for me. Um, and that kind of comes out in one of the other pages. It says, um, one basic characteristic of the sage is that he recognizes himself to be as other men are. He does not set himself apart from others and above them. And yet there is a difference. He differs in his heart from other men since he is centered on doubt and not on himself, which has been a, a big a big learning curve for myself, just knowing that things aren't really about me. Most things aren't about me. Um, if, if I, do you know what? Absolutely nothing's about me, and it's it's a very difficult thing to realize that do you know what you're no longer the center of the universe. For for many a year, I thought I was. You know, no longer so, you never were, right? But you didn't know it. Yeah, and it's a difficult it's, it's a difficult realization when you come from years of years of drinking and just thinking that you know everything revolves around you. It's a big come down to think. Do you know what? Nothing, nothing's about you, and everything, everything you've neglected, and everything you've, everything you've not seen, 
Um, it, it does kind of put you, it puts you back in your place, just realizing that you know it's just there's other things going on in this world rather than rather than just me. I think being able to live on that plane, which I, I think the I think the Chong Su kind of looks at is basically like, this, this is how we do it. That's good. Any other comments, guys? Zach, my friend, you've been quiet today. You have anything to add? I I was just just listening. Uh, glad glad to hear you guys. Um, I'm also hanging out in a park, and it's pretty windy, and so I didn't want to. They want my mic to be, you know, to not sound too staticky. Okay. Well, glad you could join us, sir. Yeah. You could use your beard as a windshield. That's a crack. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it does work. It's harder to hear the mic, though. Anything else, guys? That's good. We'll be ready for the what – I'm, what I'm going to try to do this week with uh, the useless tree. Are there any other comments on any of the first chapter that you guys want to go over? Not yet. Okay. Um, the useless tree, I printed off, and I'm going to meditate on this all week and just e- try to every day get it out, read through it, just kind of meditate on it, see what kind of uh, what we come up with on that. And then I don't know. We'll just we'll just see where this goes. Uh, we might move on to the next one if we run out, if we have time. I don't know. I, I don't know if this will take the whole hour. Who knows? We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll just see, you know. We have no control. <laughs> oh, there is, Marla. We've got to have one hour every week. We must. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Dow podcast. It has to be an hour long. You know that. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? Yes. It's funny. <laughs> just set this up, buddy. <laughs> oh, my God. You know? I, I, I thought I was coming into this COVID. I thought I was at like 60% surrendered. Oh. And I really am finding out I'm really more like 30% or maybe 25. I mean, I, it makes you stir crazy to be home or it does me to be home all the time, you know? And I've, I found, you know, a little bit of that anger I had with my sponsee this morning was this whole overall thing I'm finding that I'm a little more easily aggravated. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Where's this coming from? You know, Makes so sense. I really had to work on surrender and letting go of the control. I thought that I'd let go of more of the control than I had. So, yeah, the challenges will show you. I know um, the window of tolerance is not what it was for three months ago. The window of tolerance. Ooh. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Barely you just want to stay inside, you know. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thank so you, uh, we will, if there's nothing else, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week.
Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your friends in recovery. 